Hey guys, welcome back to The Deep End. My name is Anna and I'm here with your co-host, Yo-Yo. Hey. Um, if you've just joined us or have returned <laughs> since last time... <laughs> hey. <laughs> Yep. I was not ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> hey. hey. I'm here. I'm paying attention. Oh. The show started. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways, if you've just joined us or have returned since our last episode, we're just two girls talking shit as well as interviewing guests on the show who are more creatively inclined and overall much more talented than us. <laughs> I mean, what can you do, Yo-Yo? Like, I, I can't do anything. You I can, can beat boss. I am genuinely untalented. Aww. I mean, I don't know what to say to that, but <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> um, Eleftherios? Yeah, that was pretty much it. Oh, Eleftherios, mm. or E, mm. is a Melbourne-based producer and DJ. DJ, would you say? Sometimes. sometimes. I don't know if I'd call myself a DJ, but yeah. But sometimes DJ. Sometimes. <laughs> who has a forthcoming EP releasing in November. Yeah. Um... You've collaborated with many upcoming artists in the Melbourne music scene. Y'all yeah. can check out his most <laughs> recent work via the link in the podcast description. Yep. So how's your day been? How's my day been? Yeah. It's been good. I don't know. I'm going to get lunch after this, so I'm looking forward to that. Nice. Um, aside from that, not much has really happened. It's been a pretty quiet morning. Mm, what are you getting good. for lunch? Going to a place called DJ's. It's a Filipino grill, like yeah, barbecue cool. spot. Ooh. So you can get like... <laughs> Mouth yeah, water rig. Yeah, it's amazing. So you get like garlic rice, chicken skewers. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, mm. That sounds now so I'm hungry. So yeah, Nivik Market. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I just ate lunch and now I'm hungry again. I know, I'm like, should we get Filipino food after this too? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> the place is so good. But yeah, no, it's been a pretty quiet day. Not much has really happened today so far. Just, just here now. Chatting. That's nice. Yeah. Chilling. Sweet. Mm -hmm. It was a rally at the State Library. Yeah, it's the environmental rally. So yeah, we wrote down some icebreakers before, even though the ice has kind of already been broken. Since that was spent, our icebreaker. Yeah, we spent about half an hour talking about... Zombies. Mm, Zombies and... How would we survive in that? Mm. It was a really interesting convo. You guys will hear it. Um, <laughs> but I really like the icebreaker idea, so I think we'll just do it anyway. Okay. okay. Yeah. So my icebreaker idea was... Yep. So because our topic of the day is being first-generation Melburnians, mm -hmm. my question for you is, do you know all your relatives? Just the ones that are here. Mm, yeah, see, I don't know any. Same. And even then, not all of them. Because I just found out recently that I've got like cousins on the other side of the city that I've never met before. So like, and like uncles Legit. and stuff. And it's just like, <laughs> I'm sorry, what? So yeah, no, the, my family in Greece and Macedonia, never. Yeah, and other, plus, other parts of the world too. Never met them. I mean, I've spoken to them, but I don't know. I don't know a lot of them. Yeah, like you don't even know, know anything them. about them. Yeah, not really. Hey. Mm. Yeah, and do you have, like, your quote-unquote Australian family members, like, oh, this is your auntie and this is your uncle, but really they're not your auntie? Oh, yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, definitely. So then it's like, yeah, like, when you're a little kid, you think that they're, you're really your family, and yeah. then you grow up and you're like, wait, no, they're For not. me, it was like cousins. I was just like, yeah, this is your cousin. And yeah. then I would later find out that we have zero relation to them yeah, at all. But I just no blood relation. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the reason why we chose this icebreaker, because we just thought, like, I don't know, that's just something, I guess, that immigrants can relate on. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I have so many family members... Like, immediate family as well. My mom has uh, 14, 15 siblings. Whoa. My grandma birthed 20 kids. That's, um... Mm. Whoa. So, yeah. Like, my mom's older, elder sister is 85. And she had 10 kids. I don't even know half of them. Wow. Okay. That's... Right? Yep. Yeah. Shook. <laughs> I met... 
Uh, I don't even know what to say to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <gasps> whoa. It's, wow, so many kids. They live in Vietnam. Yeah. All like, of them? Oh, wait. So, mum's side, they all live in Vietnam. Except for one uncle. He's in France now. France. Oh. Is it meant to be France? I don't know. France. Because I did France. France. You did French? Yeah. French. I did French in year 12. I can count in Japanese. Can we do it? Yeah. Ichini, Sanshi, Go, Roku, Sichi, Hachi, Kyu, Juju, Ichi, Niju, Sanju, Goju, Rok. That was like 15. I can't remember. Well, did she smile as she said that? It was like a A. <laughs> like, how often do you show that off like as a talent? <laughs> I showed it off like last week. <laughs> Never been to Japan. I'd love to go to Japan. Me too. I'd love to go to Japan. I was listening to a side note real quick, but it makes sense. I was listening to Woke Up in Japan. True. Yeah. You, pro- you produced that, yeah? Co-produced it, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Earth was the main producer on that. And then you got me involved. And then, well, we had a group called Purple, which is what we called ourselves. And then, um, yeah, it was a crazy thing. Like, I did the recording for it, the production, the co-production on it. And, yeah, I don't know. That song was a trip. It's still climbing, too, which is weird. Yeah. We dropped that yeah, song, like, last sense. year. it It's hectic. I love it. Yeah. I was listening to it today, and I was thinking, like, I can't wait till I go to Japan, and then I can play this song when I actually do wake up in Japan. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's, like, so the story behind the song is that that was kind of, like, basically it. Like, uh, Mengo was going to Japan with a bunch of his crew, like all the 3K boys and that, because I was going to do for this Montanasa like dance event. And he was like, I really want a song for when I go to Japan. And so, yeah, Earth made the beat for him. They pieced it together and they brought it to us. And then we all kind of worked on it together at this studio in, in uh, Footscray, which I missed, which was so cool. And then, yeah, I don't know. The song, that was basically the idea. It was like, I just want a song for other people to imagine they're waking up in Japan or to feel like they've just woken up in Japan and they're going to have this like crazy experience. Yeah. That's wow. so cool. Well, they fucking did a job well done. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. How Thank did you. you meet everyone? How uh, did I meet oh, like, other, other people? Oh, yeah. um, let's see. Okung Mango. I, so I used to host his show on Sin and there's a really cool producer called Gaz and he just told me that he was looking for a guitarist and so we met up like maybe a year or two ago and we had this like I don't know, like four, five, six hour session of, not even session, we were just like in this huge warehouse type thing and I was just playing guitar and he was just singing and rapping to it and we just like went all day and then from there we just became like really good friends. Um, who else? Worked? Hey, Earth. Earth's cool. Earth is from Iran and then moved to Malaysia and then moved to Perth and then came to Melbourne wow. and the way I met him was through another guy that I met through uni and the way I met that guy was his crazy, just, I don't like the chances of, it all kind of piecing together. Like yeah. me and Earth, we just kind of figured that we're like destined to be brothers. We just we're in another life or in some alternate universe. We're definitely brothers, because like the way I met Lachlan, who was like his homie, who was in Melbourne, was like mm. there was like this open day at this uni that I went to, and they asked me to kind of be a speaker on it. And just by chance, I spoke to him. Just on the I didn't talk, didn't even talk to anyone else because like it was a really busy day. But just by chance, I talked to him. Me and him ended up hitting it off. He was from Perth. He he just moved to Melbourne too, so. I convinced him to go to the uni, him going to the uni, he then convinced Earth to come to the uni, and then just by chance, that's kind of how I met Earth, and then me and him have just kind of been inseparable for like the past, like he lives with me now, he's lived with me for like the past six months, I think. Wow. Yeah, so there's definitely like a lot of destiny going on there, yeah. the way Earth and I met. Yeah, 100%. Just a lot of weird sort of things of just like, okay, wait, if that didn't, if you didn't move there, and if I didn't, yeah, yeah. just a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, who else worked with mine? Uh, Daniel too, Duan. Same kind of thing. Um, yeah, honestly, a lot of the people I meet tends to be just through just crazy chance and just a lot of like, wait, what? So, yeah, we used to run this warehouse studio together uh, where we literally had a warehouse that we built a studio inside of. Like, we built the walls and everything and, like, pieced this whole thing together. Crazy. And then we worked out of a studio there for, like, eight months. And then we just kept working together. 
and then we had to shut that down because it just, I don't know, it just it cost a lot to run a warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, how do you get even, like, afford to set it up? Oh, we had, like, 20 of us. Oh, okay. So between the 20 of us, we were all just kind of pitching in. We were all just, you know, we all just kind of agree, like, hey, we've got this vision. We want to achieve this crazy whatever space inside of this huge room mm-hmm. of a warehouse. So, yeah, we got, like, 20, 20 of us together, and we all just built this studio, which is where the idea of this group called Purple came from. And then... Yeah, I don't know. That's how I met Duan. And then we all just kind of worked on Work Up in Japan, like eight months later. And the rest is history. And the rest is history. Wow. Yeah, literally, because Purple doesn't exist anymore. So it's also <laughs> literally history. <laughs> so, um, yeah. When you shut it down, did you just sell it? Hmm? Oh, when we shut it. Oh, no, we didn't. We never owned the warehouse. We were renting the warehouse. Uh, yeah, so. That's also why it was so expensive. Yeah, but between like the 20 of us, it wasn't so bad because it was, well, between like 20 people. Yeah. But like, it was just the upkeep. And the amount we were making from running it, it basically just turned into like a party place, I guess. We weren't really uh, making a lot of music because it yeah. was a warehouse. So we were just like, let's just throw a lot of parties. Yeah. So we ended up just throwing a lot of parties. And we made a lot of music. Like there's a track called French Love that we released, which we did there, um, which has a good mango on it as well. Uh, but we just did a SoundCloud drop for that one. Um, yeah. So we just kind of figured like, hey, we should probably move on from this and like condense the idea. Yeah. Which is when we moved to a new studio in Footscray called Good Old Days, which is... Uh, it's uh, not around anymore, but it used to be run by this guy called uh, Diggable Goods. Um, he's a really amazing painter, artist, just everything. Incredible guy. And he fostered us there, I guess. And we set up our studio there. And there were like five of us. So we condensed it down to like five people. Yeah. And uh, we had a team. We called ourselves Purple. It was myself, Earth. Uh, do you guys know Snacky? I don't know. He's like a photographer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and this other guy, Tibet. And yeah, Duan. And the five of us ran like a production house sort of Sick. thing. We just made a lot of beats, we made a lot of music. Work Up in Japan was one of them. Yeah. And there were heaps more that will probably never get released, which is sad, but it is what it is. Mm. Anyway, just, yeah. Did any of you, like, live there or just sleep there some nights? Oh, no, there were definitely nights we were just there, like, all night. But it wasn't, like, compared to the warehouse, which was basically just, like, a 24-7 party, this was, like, actually... Yeah. We it was, like, the, a focus thing Yeah, we definitely, music. like... We, like, the warehouse was, like, a massive learning experience for, like, the Footscray space. Um, I was going to ask... Oh, yeah, sorry, how old are you, by the way? Uh, 25. Wow, and yeah. you had wow. all of this already? Kind of, yeah. It's all happened like in the past year, two, or year or two. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I guess I oh, started... So the warehouse thing wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it's all happened in like the last two years, everything that's been going on. Mm-hmm. That's so sick. Mm. Wow. Yeah. When did you start making music? Like on your solo dolo? <laughs> about, solo dolo. <laughs> uh, three, four years, four years ago. Yeah, about four years ago. It's when I started getting into like production, all that kind of stuff. But I've been playing guitar since I was like 13. Sick. So okay. I guess I just kind of took that and then was like, I'm going to learn how to produce because it's sort of like when you're in Ableton or Logic or whatever you use. I was going to ask, is that where you use Ableton? Yeah, I use Ableton. So it's kind of like you're a one-person band in there. So I was like, I was a guitarist yeah. and I just kind of figured, I want to learn how to do all that as well. So, yeah, and I grew up because my cousin's 10 years older than me. So when I was like 13, he was like 23. So he was like showing me all hip-hop and R&B, like 112 and ATL mm-hmm. and like yeah, yeah. and stuff. So I kind of grew up. I mean, when I was like eight, he was 18. So, you know, he was showing me like everything you could imagine. Yeah. So, so you'd say his music taste influenced you more than, would you say your parents' music taste? Yeah, yes and no. I think I kind of got a bit from everyone. Like my dad and mum were always playing music in the house and mm. I would always wake up or go to sleep to music as well. So, yeah, I guess everyone, like my dad sort of showed me like Jimi Hendrix, a lot of like blues artists, um, like Blind Willie McTell. Yeah. Like Lightning Hopkins and my mum kind of showed me more like folk artists like Bob Dylan, um, Joan Jett. 
and then classics yeah so yeah and then my cousin was showing me like r&b and hip-hop so yeah. i kind of like got this mix of like yeah. blues rock hip-hop r&b and that's kind of where i am now mm, nice mix <laughs> but yeah like it's cool like i think it's really like especially as like a producer mm. like it's one thing to sort of like listen to one genre and then producing that kind of style but i really think it's important as a producer to get influences from everywhere yeah like mm. it's and be able to incorporate it all yeah because you don't know where you might get your inspiration from like it could, could be anything it could be any genre it could be yeah. whatever style of music like i think it's especially as a producer you're trying to bring the best out of the artist mm. you're trying to bring the best out of like the singer or the rapper so you've got to like be able know. to adapt yeah, yeah. Exactly. that's a like, really good way to look at it like you're just there to enable whatever their vision is yeah. so if you kind of like limit yourself by only listening to this then you're only going to bring out so much of that artist yeah. yeah whereas if you kind of listen to whatever it is everything i guess if you try to it means that when you're with an artist and you're like oh i want to do this you kind of have an idea of like oh i can take that like the influence from there and use like yeah. use that so pretty much the broader your music taste the better hopefully i guess so <laughs> <laughs> i agree no i think you're yeah. like i think you're right about that yeah i think that's that's sort of the that's the mindset i like to have yeah that's the mindset i like to have um so yeah, you said that you would go to sleep and you would wake up to music and mm. your parents were playing you music and stuff like that. Did you know when you were like when you were a little kid and pe- and teachers would ask you what do you want to be when you're older? Did you know it was something in music? Yeah, it was either music or be a writer. It was one of the two because mm. I was always writing. So because yeah. my mom's an English teacher as well. Oh, so, ah, literature. My, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so my uncle was a history teacher too, and my dad was like obsessed with history, so I would always come up with like crazy stories about like medieval times and yeah. like sword fighting and like all these like hectic like oh my God, like so yeah and whenever i would write i'd also kind of think like what would the music be like oh because like yeah. lord of the rings was like huge for me growing up oh lord of the rings <laughs> yeah. yes so i'd be like running around the house with like my sword pretending i was like fighting orcs and shit and there'd be yeah. like music in my head like like all crazy like that so you know write these stories and i would just think like what would the music for this be and so growing up it was like i'm either going to be a writer or i'm going to be a musician i was just kind of set and a big reason I have the opportunity is, yeah, like we mentioned before about, you know, my family moved here from like a whole other country. Yeah. If I lived in Greece or like northern Mace- like Macedonia, um, I would just be in like a village and I'd probably be like tending to sheep or like working yeah. on olive yeah, gardens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, legit. Like there's like, eight, we have like, eight, because like I guess everyone in the village kind of has olives, like just kind of have like an olive garden. So I'd yeah. just be, I'd be, that's what I would be doing. So then moving here. It's like literally given me a whole life that I never would have had. Like I would have just yeah. been in the mountains. Like True. what is a phone type thing? Mm. Like they have like still in my yards. They still have like mules. Like they still just go around <laughs> and like have, like mules and stuff. So it's like it's that's very, crazy. Like, it's like all dirt roads. Like it's very like literally like, in the middle of nowhere type thing. There's like yeah. the closest city is like four hours away. <sighs> so if they didn't move here, my life would have just been. Which is why I'm so set so on this dream because it's like I've only I've got this chance for a reason. I need to just put yeah all my effort into everything it. I can. Yeah. Do you have siblings? No, but not like blood siblings, but like I mentioned Earth before. Mm-hmm. And this other guy, Zach. Um, like Zach's lived with me for like 10 years now. Ooh. And Earth's lived with me for like, so not blood, but I definitely consider them brothers. Like they've yeah. lived with me and my mom for years. And Earth's probably going to be the same. Mm. So, yeah, so no, no siblings, but I definitely consider, and especially like with music too, like it's such a... I don't know if like intimate is the right word, but it's such a personal sort of like experience where like, you know, they might be singing about or rapping about something that happened to them that was really like very intense. So when you're kind of like in that space with them, it almost becomes like family in a way. You're almost like a... True, yeah, yeah. Because like you're, you know, you've laid this instrumental down 
and then they're writing to it and they might be writing about some you know very personal like it could be some dark thoughts that they've had or mm-hmm. something that's happened to them so you do kind of become family with them yeah, too you in bond a way. really quick yeah i mean it depends like some artists it's just kind of strictly like someone with hey i want to be mm-hmm. and then you send strictly them the business yeah there's all but there's also some others that are like no this is like family type thing like we're close we're trying to build this mm-hmm. thing together so that that's also i consider them family in a way too yeah just backtracking a little bit, mm-hmm. did you ever write your own music? Because you said you were either going to be a writer or a musician. <laughs> so did you ever just write music? Yeah, when I was first starting, I used oh. to. Because I was like, I didn't know anyone else. I didn't know any other singers or rappers. So I was like, if I don't know anyone else, but I want to be a producer, and I don't know anyone else that can, like, I kind of need to do it myself. Um, just so I could learn to, like, you know, how to record, how to mix. So, yeah, that stuff will never see the light of day. I don't, I don't even know where that is anymore. So, would you write raps or songs? Uh, songs. I guess there were like a few raps, but like mm-hmm. not really anything. Yeah, no, I'm never gonna <laughs> see the light of day. I would never call myself a rapper or ever consider what I did as rap. No. Why? Like, like, how come you're not for the writing and you like just making beats? You know what I mean? Oh, like you said, it's never gonna see the light of day. Like, why you don't like the stuff that you wrote? Yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like. I don't know. I feel like being a producer sort of suits who I am. Mm. It fits my mentality of like just putting foundations down for other people to like build on yeah like i used to be in a band and in the band too i was like the rhythm guitarist and i would like let the, you know to let the lead yeah. guitarist do their thing or like the vocalist so i don't know it's how i was raised i guess yeah. mm-hmm. it's to just sort of like support other people because that's like how my family kind of worked like the whole village mentality of like everyone's here to help each other yeah mm. which to be honest i think is actually quite rare especially like i don't know i just feel like artists in general like to keep it to themselves for the most part because they're like well this is my art my message i want to share what i was thinking you know what i mean mm. or like how i felt i want to convey my emotions the way i want them so like well, i guess but like what ends up happening is in the same kind of way though like through the instrumental i can still tell like our story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or I can bring a certain emotion out of the artist mm-hmm. and then what they end up singing about I might connect with in some kind of way or like I might help them write it so it can still happen like I'm st- I still can be involved in the writing side but yeah I don't know I never really thought of like doing it like being a singer or being a rapper or yeah if I was to write it would be maybe for like movies or short stories mm-hmm. yeah That'd be cool. Maybe. Watch this space, guys. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I have written a script before, which I've told... We might... Beluga and I might actually turn that into something. I don't know. But we also kind of want to write something together. How do you have the time for all of this? Like, do you... <laughs> I work... Do you have, like... Straight up, I work for Menulog. Oh. Yeah, I'm like a delivery driver. Oh. And wow. it's like the worst job, but it's also like the best job. Because you're on hours, yeah? Yeah, I don't have hours. I just check in and then I get deliveries and then oh. I go back to work. Do you get paid... It's like twelve dollars. Like okay? It's like, well, yeah. I get to, like it's okay for like now. It's not something I want to do like long term. It's yeah. like it averages about twelve dollars a delivery. So if you do like two an hour, which is like all right, which you probably can do, it's pretty good. But it's also not what I want to be doing long term. Yeah. Is I just made a decision this year. Like I'm just gonna work Manulog and invest all my time into music, mm. and then next year, probably go into back into studying. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's Sweet. fair enough. Because it is really hard to find a balance for all of it. Yeah, so I figured, like, I need to find a job where I can invest, like, 20, like, however many hours in a day to music and then just have something on the side to, like, do for a few hours. Yeah, just yeah. for, like, money to live. Legit, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not making enough. I'm definitely not making enough to just go on a holiday tomorrow. But yeah. I am yeah. making enough that I can work on music, like, whenever I need to. Like, yeah. if someone's like, hey, 
hey, I need to do this. Mm-hmm. Or like, hey, can you email me this? Or can you mix this? Or can you... Yeah. I'm always available. Yeah, because I feel like you've already got a lot of, like, stuff in your folio, I guess, if that's what you want to call it. And then you're telling us about all of these, like, projects that you're working on that are, like, still in the making. And I'm like... Mm what the hell like <laughs> yeah you gotta find you really it's like so important to find that balance like last year uh i didn't really have that balance and mm-hmm. yeah it wasn't the best so this year i was like i gotta make sure i find something that suits so i can really invest my time into this mm-hmm. and the year before that i finished studying so i was at uni and then what were you studying uh i did audio engineering nice. uh, at so yeah it was like the course was like perfect for yeah, yeah. what you want to do mm-hmm. and i used to be an instrumental teacher too for a few years so Wow. Um, What were you like in school? What was your school life like? Oh, man. I was pretty... Did you go to public school or private? Public school. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I was... I don't know. Hey, I don't know. School was a weird time. (laughs) High school was like... It was cool, but it was also... uh, I think I spent way too long just stuffing around, I guess. I don't know. I wasn't really... I didn't really like going to school. It wasn't really for me. We had... um. I was in like this, there was like this test you kind of had to go through and you were put into like this advanced, whatever the class thing. Yeah, yeah. So like right from like the beginning, the teachers were putting pressure on us. Like, hey, when you get into VC, you have to get like 96 or above because that school relies on funding. So that like pressure just from the start really put me off school. Yeah, that's really weird that your school said that to you. Yeah, they would have meetings like with all the, basically every year level that was in this class. And they would, like, literally say, hey, just a reminder, like, VC is coming up soon. You guys got to make sure you do this. You know what my school did? It was actually a little bit, I don't know, arguably this could be more fucked up. They went privately to the kids that were the overachievers. So the kids that were getting, like, straight A's and stuff like that, they went up to them and had private chats with them, telling them that they need to get 96 and stuff like that for their airtight yeah, so to, like, carry the school. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, that's yeah. exactly what they did to us, yeah. yeah. And it's like, I don't know, you'd kind of, I'd probably rather it, like, if you were that one kid, you're like, what the fuck? Like, the whole school relies <laughs> yeah. on me, you know what I mean? So maybe it's actually less fucked up for them to just tell the whole year level that. But, yeah. Yeah, so I ended up, moving to a different school in year 11 okay and then i well uh just the i don't know school just wasn't clicking Mm. i don't know you didn't like the teachers or you didn't like the students some of the teachers were cool students i went through like a bad breakup with one of the girls (laughs) which happened in like year which happened in like year 11 and so from that it everything just became just a mess yeah (laughs) um as high school does because everyone's so like it's high school. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Everything's extra dramatic. Yeah. Whoa. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, obviously, like, the pressure, too, from, like, the teachers. Like, so, that's, like, bringing back, like, the lit teacher. That's why she was so amazing. Because she was, like, hey, school doesn't isn't the, like, be-all and end-all. Mm-hmm. There's still another path in mm-hmm. life. Like, it's going to be okay. Um, so, I worked out an agreement with my VC coordinator. Because I just wasn't going to school. I think my attendance was, like, 20% or something ridiculous uh. like that. So they said to me, like, okay, we're either going to fail you or you can move schools. Because my grades were still, I was still killing it grades-wise. So they were just like, we kind of need you in the school for this, <laughs> like the funding and stuff. Because we yeah. had like, they had like a group of 20 of us that they really wanted to stay at the school for funding, which is so broke. Anyway, that's the public yeah. school system though. That's how, this gov- <laughs> yeah. that's how this government has it set up. It's all about grades. And anyway, um, so they were willing to like make a deal, I guess, with me of like, we won't expel you if you just move to a different school. Because then it also looks good on them because yeah. if you expel students that also carries a penalty mm. to the school yeah so i moved schools but by that point mentally i was already checked out so i dropped out halfway through year 12 oh really yeah and then i went to uni got a degree in music 
and then I started teaching music, which was funny. I left school to become a teacher. Yeah. So, like, I don't know, kind of ridiculous. But that's what I did for a few years. And then a couple of years ago, I kind of decided, all right, I'm going to do music, like, full time. Mm. And then, yeah. So then I started studying. And now here we are. Here we like are. A couple of years later. When you dropped out and then went to uni and then started teaching music, did you think that was going to be your life? Like, did you think you were going to be a music teacher? Uh, no, I wasn't really thinking that far ahead at that point. Hey, mm-hmm. at that point, my thought process, yeah, at that point, my thought process was, I just got to get to tomorrow or like, I got to get to the next month mm-hmm. type of thing. I was just kind of like, whatever was ahead of me, that's what I was focusing on. Because at that point, anxiety was like, you know, everything was just yeah. hectic. Yeah. So yeah, I wasn't really thinking too far ahead at that point. I was just yeah. kind of doing whatever would kind of like make, give my mum peace of mind and just sort of occupy my brain. Yeah. Back to the music. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's what's like the what's your process like when you're making new music? What, like if it's like something that's solo, and then you can tell us about stuff when you work with other other, oh. other artists. <laughs> so everything I make, I make with the artist there. Okay. So I don't really, and when I work by myself, I don't know. I get really not paranoid, but my head just kind of goes, "Oh, is this good? Is this not good?" And then I end up just going, "This is bad." So. That's why I like working with people too, because it means like I can get live feedback, I yeah. guess, especially mm-hmm. with the artists there. So everything I've ever released was like the first session it was made, they wrote to it, we recorded it. The second session was we tweaked it, and the third second, the third session it was out. Yeah. Or like mm-hmm. ready, then it was sent off to mastering. So I work very quickly. Like I'm like in half an hour or an hour. That's when I'll make the song. Yeah. Wow. Is that because if you spend too much time in it, you'll just end up hating it? Yeah, my brain yeah. will just go into a rabbit hole of like, yeah. so I just need to trust whatever is happening. Um, so that's how I like to work. Like, and then you can learn from that as well. Yeah. And yeah. I, was, I was kind of the thought process of like, it's just one idea. This does idea doesn't have to work. Yeah, There's exactly. so many more ideas yeah. to come. My teachers love telling us, like, if you just get your shit, at, shit ideas out, at mm. least they're out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're out of your head. And then, because when you just get stuck on them, it's like, you just keep having a shit ideas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. So, yeah, yeah, my thought process is just literally, like, especially, like, with the artists there, too. Like, if it's not working, like, you can kind of tell, too. After a while, you sort of pick up on, like, if it's working or if it's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can tell pretty quickly if the artist is into it. Very quickly. Yeah. Like, if they're just, if it's, like, been, like, 10, 15 minutes and they're not humming to it or if they're not right, it's, like, okay, this is a dud. So, move on to the next idea. Sweet. So, this might be a dumb question because I don't know anything about producing music, but maybe some There's no dumb questions. The That's my teacher coming out. <laughs> <laughs> There's no dumb questions. Um, so, you make the beat, then they write the lyrics to the beat, or do they give you the lyrics and then you make the beat? I mean, most of the time, I'll tend to make the beat and then I'll write to it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, uh, like Rastafari, for example, oh, yeah. um, he'll send me voice memos of him, like, singing melodies and stuff. Oh, okay. And he'll yeah, just be yeah. like, hey, I was just, I don't know, I thought of this. And then he'll just, like, hum the melody and he'll send that to me. And then I'll try and make something around that. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time, I'll tend to make the beat and then they'll write to it. Yeah. Do you prefer that better? Yeah, I think so. Because yeah. then, I guess, the foundations are already set. I mean, I don't know. I don't really have a preferred way. Hey, I guess so. I just like having the artist there to bounce off. That's the main thing yeah. that I prefer. As long as, like, they're part of the idea. That's what I care about most. Yeah. That sounds hectic. You're <laughs> making me want to make it. It sounds so wholesome. Now. Yeah, no, yeah, it's like, well, it we're does. like, I don't know. That's my thought process with this is, like, we're just making music. It's not, I mean, like, it's deep in terms of where it can go. Yeah. It can definitely become something crazy. But, like, at the end of the day, we're just kind of making sounds. Yeah. There's so much going on. It really, like, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that important. Like, we can we can bring a lot of happiness to someone. And so, like, 
that's sort of what we just need to focus on. Yeah. It's really not that deep. Damn, so wholesome. I know. <laughs> oh my god. I don't know. It just goes back to how I was raised. Like, yeah. I don't know. Just the mentality of just we should just be grateful for what we can actually do. Yeah. yeah. You should write a book. I mean, maybe. I feel like I feel like maybe when I'm like 50, I'll write something. Yeah, yeah. and you can be like, this I'll is all like, the wisdom I've gained. <laughs> <laughs> you can be the lit teacher to everyone else. Yeah, you can be what your lit teacher was. was the, well, I mean, hopefully that'd be amazing. I think so. If I think if I wasn't to, if music wasn't to like, quote unquote, work out, I guess, or not become like a full time, I think I would love to, yeah, become a lit teacher or a teacher and yeah. Yeah. Uh, who was the first artist you made a beat for? Oh. Uh, if you remember. Okay, so there's depending on how you want to look at it, the first artist I made like a beat for, like, well, I guess we were just like I made a beat and then sent it to him, was this guy just on SoundCloud. I, f- I forgot his name. I'm so sad. But the first artist... Is he Australian? Like, no, it was some American dude. And I was so excited because I was like, oh my God, some random American rapper wants to... It was like nothing. It was like, yeah. you know, whatever, right? How did he find you just through SoundCloud? Like, Pretty much. Like you saw your beats on there? Pretty much, yeah. SoundCloud was like amazing... A couple of years, where everyone was like interact. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess just through that. But I guess the first artist I really made a beat with, or like worked with, would be this guy called Ali Belmont. So maybe. And he's Australian? Yeah. And so we started up together like three, four years ago. Four years ago. And so for like the first two years, I was just working with him and only him because we just didn't know anyone. We yeah. were just like, we we're just like in a garage, like, hey, we're just making. Yeah. And then. We know, we released a bunch of EPs, we released a bunch of mixtapes, we dropped an album. The first our album actually came in at number five on hip-hop on the iTunes charts and then like 59. Oh my God, sick. So we were like tripping balls, like, oh my God, yeah. are, like, whatever. Um, but then like, it doesn't really mean anything. It's yeah. like amazing. But, but it's, it's like, an eh. amazing achievement, yeah. <laughs> but like grand scheme of things. Um, yeah, so here's who I really learned everything with and developed everything with and like playing shows with. and oh, wow. Yeah, so he was the first artist that I worked with. And he was from the area too. Like he's just like lived or used to live around the corner from me. I met him at like a house party. He was like freestyling. And then I was like, you're oh, really dope. Classic, like on the couch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, legit. We were like, Everyone's yeah, no, legit the on the couch. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, he probably wasn't killing it. But we were like, yeah, you're killing it. <laughs> and then like, like, it wasn't until like a year later, we met each other again at like another house party. And then it was, uh, well, actually it was a house party at my house, which we weren't meant to throw, but it was for my mates. Anyway, um, wow, that party, we got, uh, anyway, um, <laughs> Yeah, and then that's how we met him. I, I like met him again properly then, and I was like, "We really got to work." We were like drunk as fuck, and then the next day he came over, and we just made our first song, and then we were like, "Yeah, let's do this." And then yeah. How do you meet most of the people that you work with? Like, is it like through like that one was a pretty interesting story? Do you have any other interesting stories, or is it mostly just through SoundCloud and Instagram and that? Mm, no, mostly through word of mouth. Mostly oh, yeah. just through kicking it and just like, "Hey, you're pretty dope. Yeah, let's make something together." All right, and then that's. I don't think I've ever worked with anyone through Instagram. Mm. Most of the time through Instagram, nah, it usually doesn't go anywhere. Hey, I don't know. Usually it's the face-to-face ones that kind of lead somewhere. Okay. Like when you kind of met them and you're like, hey, you're, you're actually really cool. And then you kind of have an opportunity to actually like connect with them, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. So most everyone I've worked with has been through that. It's just been through, hey, my mate told, told me you were like a really cool, look, we'd just be at an event or I don't know, at a show or whatever the hell it would be and just someone would be like yeah my mate told me you were a good producer or I'd be like yo I heard your song real freaking crazy let's you know let's make something together mm-hmm. I think I like the it. Melbourne scene is getting to that point now where everyone's just working together yeah and I think it's really exciting especially the 
Yeah, because I think you like look at like Sydney and you look at Brisbane and everyone there is like working with each other. Especially Sydney. Like Sydney's got like a really good like support. Yeah, I network. Guess. Yeah. yeah. And I think Melbourne is starting to get to that where everyone's just working with everyone. Yeah. I feel like Melbourne's like, not even just music, just arts in general scene is like getting more... What's the word? It's getting more life to it. You know what I mean? Prevalent. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's becoming more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like... So, I spoke about this ages ago. I don't know if this ever even went out, but how, like, people kind of had the thought, the, like, preconceived idea that if you want to, like, make it with art, you got to, like, move to, like, LA or something. And then here, lots of people would just, like... If they couldn't move all the way to LA, they would go to Sydney. Like, my sister moved to Sydney for a bit as well, just because it's like, oh, there's more opportunities there. Yeah. Or, like, all the head offices are there and shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Sydney, but, I guess, is, like, the hub of the industry, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, we're putting Melbourne on the map. Definitely. Should we get into the topic of the day? Yes. Okay. The topic of the day is being born from immigrant parents. We wanted to talk about this because... All of us, Anna, me, and E, are born from immigrant parents. Our parents moved here from a different country. And we just wanted to, like, explore, like, the opportunities that we got from that. Maybe talk a little bit about the things that we can, like, relate on from that. And the negative things as well. Yep. Yeah. Should we start off by saying, I guess, where our parents came from? Wait, were we all born here? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, let's go around and say we're all where our parents came from. Okay. So, you go first. Me go first? Yeah. Uh, they were born in, so my dad's side were born, uh, not exactly on the border of North Greece, but like close to it. And my mum's family were born like directly on the border of Greece and Macedonia. So they're, in, yeah. they're in that awkward, I don't know if you know much about what's been going on between Greece and Macedonia. Don't they hate yeah, like, each other? Yeah. Some, well, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> There's like, so recently Macedonia had to change its name to North Macedonia because the Greeks, because there's a region in Greece called Macedonia. Ah. Uh. Like it's just at the very, very North. And so they were like, Hey, this is Macedonia. This is the real Macedonia. You're not the real, you have to change your name or we're like basically going to go to, it was getting pretty hectic. Yeah. Wow. So that's where my mum's side are from. They're from the way North of Greece, like mountains so like Meliti and Florina are the two villages. How did your parents meet? Uh, over here or over there? They met here on because uh, <laughs> like the Greek community and like was like hello close I guess yeah. in the sixties and seventies or seventies. So they met on a boat party. <laughs> yeah, that's really, really oh my yeah. God. Yeah, they just met on a boat party. That's sick. And I guess it was just kind of like it was just like the thing. I yeah. guess it was just I guess Greek people just throw boat parties. So mm-hmm. they just kind of met on that. And then, yeah. So your parents moved here quite early? Yeah, they moved here. So when my dad moved here, he was, I want to say, eight or nine. Mm. And then, oh, man, my dad's story from when they came here. So, oh, man. So when they arrived in Australia in, like, the 60s, um, they left their passports back at home. Well, they didn't have passports, but they just came anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, they were held in, uh, God, I can't think. They were held in an immigration camp for a year. I forgot the name of it. Like a detention center? There wasn't as extreme as it is now. Yeah. But they were, like, held, like, in the bush, basically. Oh. Okay. And it was, like, at a camp. And they were there for, like, a year. And they were just waiting for these papers to arrive. And if they didn't get the papers, they were going to be sent back to Greece. Uh, like, they came in by, by ferry. I forgot the name of the boat. There. Damn it. Anyway. So, they were in this, like, thing. And, then like, my uh, they had no way to contact because they were in the village, like, back in Greece. It was, like, how the hell are you meant to contact the yeah, village like by in mail? Greece? <laughs> Yeah, legit. Like, how the hell do you get a letter? It's going to take so long. Um, but what ended up happening was um, they had another friend here in Melbourne who just happened by chance to be contacted by someone from the village back in Greece. Just being like, hey, how's 
Aditi, how's Costas, how's the family, how are they all settling into Melbourne, like how are they? And he wrote back like, uh, we haven't, what, yeah, we didn't even know they were here. here. They're not here, <laughs> we didn't even know they were here. And this was like nine months in. And it takes like a month for the, you know, letters yeah. to go back and forth. Yeah. So by the 11th month, like, thank God, they managed to, the village were like, oh shit, they left their papers here, we just found them, they're probably here. So they sent the letters back. The guy that was in Melbourne here was like, like what? He like received the papers, was like frantically searching around Melbourne trying to find them. Eventually found out that, you know, when the Greeks migrated here, they were put in this village. Or not village, but like space. Yeah. 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 So he managed to like show them the papers. And then luckily they were like not sent wow. back. <laughs> yeah, it was like yeah. a month. There was like a few weeks to spare. Jeez. Wow. What a story. And then they were sent. So yeah, if they didn't get the papers like, Barely in time, they would have been sent back to Greece. Yeah. So this was your dad with his family, mm. oh, okay. and his so my uncle, my dad, my uncle, and yeah, my papa, my uh-huh. yeah. So that's what happened to them, and then they settled, and they ended up, you know, moving in with them because like that's what the plan was. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I don't know. I guess they kind of found their way through it all. Um, my papa worked, and my ER worked crazy jobs, factories, everything. Mm-hmm. And then um, my dad and my uncle basically raised themselves, and it was the same on my mom's side. Um, although my papu on my mum, well, he rested, he passed through. Anyway, um, he, um, his story was kind of hectic because his dad came here in like the thirties yeah, and then didn't send for him in like the sixties to come like 30 years later or well, sort of. So, oh man, my, my mum's side is really weird because he was here and then my papu came in the thirties to Melbourne and then he went back to Greece mm. and then... The village was like classic, like, oh, you need to marry someone. So he, they married here, him off to my ER, I guess. I don't know. They just were like, the village and the village, his, my papa's village and my ER's village were like, hey, these two people. And then that's just kind of how it happened, I yeah. guess. So they married each other. And then they eventually, my papa was like, I want to go back to Melbourne to be with my dad or my great grandfather. Like, come with me. So they came here and they moved into St. Albans, like one of the first houses in St. Albans. Like, there's a photo. Wow, there's geez. like a photo of them standing in front of the house, like, yeah. which they still have to this day. And it's just fields all around them. So, like, before wow. anything was built in St. Albans, because, like, my mum's like a baby and, like, my uncle is like, they're, my, mom, my uncle and my auntie are like, I don't know, like six or eight, like that kind of age. Mm-hmm. And they're just standing in front of this house and there's just fields. And it's St. Albans, wow. which, like, St. Albans now is like so. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, most Europeans that migrated to Australia went to, like, St. Albans area. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It was either St. Albans or like Paran, Windsor. Yeah. That kind of area. Like, um, that's where my dad grew up. He grew up in like, uh, yeah, Paran, Chapel Street, Fitzroy. Sweet. Yeah, I mean, like, it wasn't, it's cool it now, was, yeah. but like back then yeah, it, it was wasn't different. what it was. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. very different back then. Like, my dad told me some hectic yeah. stories of what it was he like. He wasn't like up. going to bimbos. And <laughs> <not> like <that. laughs> no, it was like, uh, yeah, anyway, my dad told me some crazy stories about when yeah. he was growing up here, like what it was like for, as a teenager. Mm. In, so that would be so that interesting. That's crazy. Um, what about you, Anna? Do you have a similar story? No. So, my parents came later. Um, so, my dad and my mum met in a refugee camp in Malaysia. So, my dad left when he was about 22 and my mum's around the, like, the same age. She's a bit older than him. Wait, sorry, pause. They're both Vietnamese? Yeah. So, they're from Vietnam and they went on a boat and they got to Malaysia um, and they stayed in a refugee camp for six years of their life. And um, wow. they met there. They fell in love. You know, all the gist. And um, my auntie, because my auntie had moved here, as in my dad's, my grandma's sister, um, moved here prior. 
And so she was the one sponsoring my dad. So he he was the first one to come here. And then mum went to back to Vietnam and she met my dad's family. And then he sponsored her over after he got his citizenship. And mm-hmm. then, yeah. So they came here about... Dad came here about 96, 96. Yeah. So mm. quite late compared to a lot of other Vietnamese families. Yeah. Mm. Um, six years in a refugee camp. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. I know. Like, that's like his whole, like, young adulthood. Mm. Mm. Did they tell you anything about what it was like? I get, like, small snippets. Mm-hmm. I don't get a lot out of them. Um, but, like... Yeah, like he used to be like the, um, the camp DJ. <laughs> okay. That's- so he used to, cause he was like, he knew how to do like IT stuff. Cause his dad used to be like a guy who could do everything. Mm-hmm. And his interest was in IT. And my dad, we used to get, cause they used to get like unrolled, um, unrolled. Yeah. Unrolled like cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. And so he'd have to roll it back in Whoa. to the cassette and like, then he'd play the music for the cafes and oh, everything. Okay. Yeah. So, dad was like... And everyone knew my dad. So, my dad was like the famous camp dude. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> like, every time I like we go to, like... Because um, they only recently started going to these events where they'd have, like, a camp reunion. So, all these people from the same camp would go um, and see each other. And everyone would know my dad. And I'm like, how, do they everyone, how does everyone know you, dude? And, like, dad used to work because um, he learnt English. So, he was, like, um, the translator in the camp. So, he used to work with the big guys. And stuff like that. So he like mm-hmm. wormed his way in to like authority. <laughs> wow. He wormed yeah. his way up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, they told me like some, like they said like your mom was it, probably like, "Ooh, I want a DJ." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my mom was trying to set up her friend with my dad because her friend what? was like, her friend was like, "Oh, like I like this guy." Like, and mom was like, "Oh yeah, whatever." And then your my mom dad was playing it cool. Yeah, my dad didn't like her friend, so. <laughs> Then my dad chased after my mom, <laughs> and my mom thinks that friend is still salty to this day. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so That's it was quite so wild. Funny. But yeah, but what they've told me is like it was like not the greatest experience, but they made a lot of like good memories. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So th- well, with what they had, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say they, they made the most been, out of it. anything grateful. Yeah, you know they were just malnourished yeah. like half the mm. time. You know. Just normal thing. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I, wonder, I wonder what they were fed. Like, oh, dad used to tell us like they'd get like, um, like expired like, uh, what's it called? I was trying. I was about to say the word in Vietnamese. <laughs> um, noodle packets. Oh, they get yeah. a lot of those, or like they'd get like expired rice and stuff like that. Oh my god! Well. If they'd had meat, then it'd be like shared like with like fifty of them. Like, it'd be, like, minimal. So, everyone... It would be, like, a communal cooking thing. And, yeah. So, Dad... I saw photos of Dad, and he was so skinny. Wow. Yeah. And then when he came here, he, like, blew up. Yeah. Because then he stopped smoking as well. So, then <laughs> everything just went... Yeah. But yeah. That was amazing that we were able to push through that. And yeah. Just, I mean, that's sort of, like, the... It's, like, tragic, but also, like, the beautiful story of it all. In the way that, like, they're able to start this whole new life. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And then, like, Dad's quite successful now. So, it's, like... For me, I don't know much either. They didn't tell me much. I know that they they both... My parents met in... So, both my parents are Ethiopian. But they met in Sudan. They were, like, all... Like, pretty much everyone from Ethiopia was migrating or was, like, trying to leave, like, asylum-seeking and stuff. My dad used to be in the army in Ethiopia... So he had a sponsor originally it was his brother to go to America 
and he was like but because i was i used to be in the army they're not gonna let me in like on my own they're gonna be like now you're gonna do some dodgy shit so he was like fuck okay i gotta find a wife real quick so he said to his friend can you introduce me to some girl i gotta get a wife introduce me to my mom <laughs> mom was like okay yeah sweet because she was they were both just uh, she was working as like a like a nanny i don't know what he i don't know what he was doing but yeah she didn't have a sponsor to go anywhere so she was like okay sweet i'll go to america with you uh, I don't know what happened, but something happened along the way and they got denied. They couldn't go to America. So then they went to Australia instead, which at first I used to be really upset about. I was like, oh my God, I could have been American. Like, I wouldn't have felt different. I would have been the only black kid in class and stuff like that. Like, it would have been all good. But then now I kind of realise that, like, mm, it's probably better that I came to Australia because, like, Trump's president in there. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, healthcare and, is like, pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing I remembered is that when he came to Australia, he had his factory job and then he knew a little bit of English, but he took more English classes to learn it. And then he got a diploma, I think, in social work because it was like one of the, like, he was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. Let me just pick this random thing. So then he did it and he was a social worker for most of his life and he actually hated it. Well, not hated it. He just said it was the most discouraging thing ever. So I had a friend who wanted to be a social worker and she asked me to ask my dad about it and he said, tell her not to do it like tell her to like quit now yeah so he worked at a drug and alcohol rehab and he was saying like it's just the most discouraging thing when you spend so much time trying to help somebody they tell you that they've you've saved their life and they're moving on and then they leave you say goodbye and then a month later they come back Mm. like he was like and he like it was to the point where like he genuinely believed that like once a junkie always a junkie like yeah another question i wanted to ask all of us we can go around and say it when our parents came and like had their kids and stuff like that, had us and raised us, did we did they assimilate or do you reckon that you still have like where you still stick to like your cultures a lot? Oh uh, yeah, my mum and dad did not want to teach me Greek or math or anything. They didn't want to teach me any languages. Why? Uh, they would they would always just say if you want to have a chance in this country, you can't speak that language. Mm-hmm. You can't even have the accent. Like they were wow. very their experiences. Yeah, they were yeah. very strict on like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And my auntie, like they're, they're like, like, we came all this way for you to make it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can't. Yeah, so they kind of like avoided teaching me, and because my mum missed out on a lot of stuff, a lot, just purely based on, yeah. So, and my dad too was basically like, any kind of job that wasn't like being a janitor or something like that was like turned down. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they just would always say to me, no, you don't need to learn Greek. And then I'd go to my yeah's house and my papa's house, and they'd be speaking to me, and they'd be like, why doesn't he know how to speak? And I'd be like, mm-hmm. fuck, it's such a conflict of like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like raised to have like this pride in my cult, like my history, and then also to sort of like ignore it. I mean, yeah. not ignore it, like, but kind of like put it under the rug yeah, for the moment. Yeah, it was yeah. a really weird sort of like because like we would still be eating like you know barbecues like every week so there was this still massive i mean that's not all greek culture is but like, <laughs> there was still this huge embrace of it but it was also at I the same time mean. like uh no nah, he doesn't need to know how to speak it yeah. he doesn't need to know how I to like, like and that's also like eric that's where eric came from they were like uh, you're elephantius here but you're eric here and it was like oh okay that's weird yeah so at school do people call you eric sort of for like the first year i was elephantius and then it just didn't catch on everyone would just <laughs> really obviously make because like, what's that name so then i would always go home crying like well they always make fun of my name so like all right you're eric now and then yeah so on my birth certificate it says eric but i was always like around the house be called left 30 which is like yeah, yeah. also yeah. it's meant to be terry 
like left Terry or left Terios is meant to be Terry. Uh-huh. So I don't know. <laughs> Where, they got Where did Eric, Eric from? from? Like, I get, like my uncle's Eric, so I guess they were just like, I oh, will just name you after your uncle. But yeah. yeah, so on my birth certificate it says Eric, but at home, like my ER still calls me left Terry to this day. Yeah. So. Do you prefer being called Eric or um, For a long time, I preferred, I'm not preferred, but I was just used to being called Eric. It was yeah. only like a few years ago. I was like, stuff that I want to use my actual... Name. Like, if I was to go to Greece, they would be like, who the fuck is Eric? Why are you calling yourself yeah. Eric? Yeah. So, yeah, I just kind of embraced... I don't know. And I'm also trying to, like, learn more about, yeah, my language and... yeah, and like, culture, yeah. And, like, with my parents and grandparents, like, why they left and mm. all that kind of stuff. Like, can you speak Greek now? I can a little bit. I can, like, understand it way better than I can talk it. Yeah. I think I'm, like, I'm too slow to, like, respond if I try to... Like, I can speak it, but it would just take me way too long yeah. Yeah. to say a sentence. So, I just stick to English. Oh. Oh, I guess I do like a h- weird half where I'm like, yeah. I'll say half of it in Greek and the other half in yeah. English. And, or like I'll I just, do Vietlish. Yeah, no, legit. I guess <laughs> yeah. it'd be like Greeley should be like, or I do like this weird thing where I just speak in English, but with a really thick Greek accent. I do that. That's what <laughs> yeah, I do. Why do we do that? <laughs> why? Where did that come from? Are we talking to like, and it was like, it why? It works, but I, like, for some reason it does yeah. work. Why does it work? It's like they can understand. It's like the act. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, so I just do that, which I'm kind of like, I don't know. It works for some reason. So, I guess because, like, for them, if they were to speak English, that's how they would sound. So they're like, <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, I get what you I mean. Yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so not really. Hey, I was pretty much... I think also because we were first generation, but, like, my parents came here when they were pretty young. Mm-hmm. So they kind of got... They sort of, I guess, went through what I would have been... Like, if I was born... at If I was here at their age, like, in the 70s... Yeah. Like, it's just different being raised Greek now. Yeah. Like, European in Australia now is not really thought of as anything, I guess. Yeah. It's kind of like, ah, oh, whatever, he's, he's Italian, blah, blah, blah. But I guess in, like, the 60s and the 70s, it was, like, it was a thing. And, like, we they were just stuck to, like, their little suburb. And it yeah. was, like, if they tried to venture out of that suburb, it was, like, what are you doing? Go back into your suburb. Like, there was a lot of that <laughs> sort of shit going on. Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of, I didn't really experience this. I don't obviously have another same experience as them. But also, at the same time, they still sheltered me from all that. By ra- Like, they used to joke, they used to always joke that I was adopted. Which was, like, kind of messed up. <laughs> but basically, like, if you look at, like, baby photos or, like, photos of me till up until, like, I'm the age of 11, I've got, like, beach blonde hair. Wow. Like, I literally look like I was, like, a surf kid from Bondi. <laughs> so they, and I also had, like, this, not Aussie accent, but obviously, like, I didn't have any kind of Greek or any kind of tendencies at all. Yeah. So they would always just be like, oh, it's the adopted child here to be bloody Aussie and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I was kind of... Yeah. The thing about like going back to Vietnam, like I, my mum brought me back when I was like, I don't know, 10 months. So I went back when I was young and I was the first um, like grandchild. So then I was like, I just learnt Vietnamese because we stayed there for like six months. Oh, wow. So like, yeah. But like, yeah, I didn't really have that thing where they're like, oh, she's Australian. Because I'd be like, I'd be always there. Mm. Mm. Did your family assimilate? Yeah. Well, I think so. I mean, Why? we never got grouped into, the, like, um, like the Asian communities, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like, Dad used to live in Glenroy, and then he moved to Fitzroy in, like, the 90s. Okay. You know? And then, like, we didn't really have that. Like, I feel like I didn't have much of that, like, Vietnamese community interaction. Yeah. Yeah. My family was opposite. Mine refused to assimilate in any sense. I think it's because there was is is such a big Ethiopian community in Melbourne. Mm. Um, yeah, so they were really like we were doing all the like old school Ethiopian tradition stuff. I remember like 
I, the something that tra- that traumatized me when I was little was like for like uh, special occasions, like Ethiopian New Year or Ethiopian Christmas or something, they would go to Victoria Queen Victoria Market, buy a live chicken, and kill it in my backyard. <laughs> and then I actually learned not long ago when I went to Ethiopia that the Ethiopians here in Australia are actually more like they actually continue the traditions more so than the Ethiopians there because the Ethiopians there mm. they don't have to feel like they're keeping their culture alive yeah. you know what I mean because they're still in Ethiopia just, yeah, so they just like go with the times like they're like no we don't fucking just kill chickens anymore like we just go <laughs> to the shops and buy it because like we just can't be bothered you know mm. or like there's this like traditional homemade Ethiopian alcohol that you can make but it takes days to make and my mum used to make it all the time and my auntie was like what like I don't even know how to make yeah. that like who taught her that see that's what I'm sad that I missed out on because like for example, there's more Greeks in Melbourne. Like the, the only other place in the world that has more Greeks than Melbourne is Athens, which is the capital of Greece. Oh, yeah, wow. like that's how many Greeks there are in this city. Wow. So like, I, but I because I was sort of sh- I missed all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess like my mum and dad would always just tell me stories of like similar kind of things, mm-hmm. and I would see footage of like literally my papu basically doing the same thing, <laughs> just like cook like just yeah like cooking pigs and, like just like whoa what, what is going on yeah um yeah so but I missed all that. I don't know. Like, even just, like, going to, like... I mean, I guess the closest thing I ever got to that was, like, going to the soccer every week. Yeah. So, when people ask you, where are you from, hmm. do you say Australian? Or, like, people... You know what I mean? Like, just in general. Like. Yeah. It depends on who's asking. Yeah. Like, if I'm overseas, I'll say I'm Australian. Mm-hmm. But if I'm, like... If I know you assume I'm Australian, I'll be like, oh, I'm Vietnamese. Hmm. You know? Yeah, no, I do the same. I tend to say I'm Greek. Mm. And, well, it depends on who I'm talking to. Some people will say I'm Greek-Macedonian. Other <laughs> people will say, no, I'm just Greek. Yeah, I'm just Greek, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I don't really tend to say, I guess, because, yeah, same sort of thing. Like, we're here, yeah. so, I don't know. I don't really need to say I'm Aussie. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I never really thought of myself as, I've never really thought of myself as Australian. Yeah, neither. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's never really been like, yeah, I'm, like, ever, like, in any point in my life have I ever thought, yeah, I'm, I'm Aussie. I've, mm. never really, I've always been, because, um, I guess, just in the household. Yeah. What it was like. Kind of just like, oh, I, I was born here, but... Yeah, I'm it's like, this weird in between. It's like yeah. this weird in between where you're like, yeah, I was born here and I was raised here, but I was also raised with all these other traditions and all these other yeah, stuff that exactly. is like that, like, like I don't know, like my next door neighbor has no idea of type thing. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm the same. I say Ethiopian, and I actually, I actually find it weird when I ask someone where are you from and they say Australian. I always end up asking them, okay, but where are your grandparents from? And they're like, my grandparents were born in Australia. I'm like, okay, just keep going down the list. <laughs> Until yeah. you have someone because, like, nobody... You know what I mean? Like... Technically not, yeah. Even if you're 10 generations Australian, like, they yeah. came from somewhere. Unless I'm talking to an Aboriginal, then I'll be like, okay, yeah, yeah. you're Australian. And even they won't say they're Australian. They'll say they're Indigenous. Yeah. Do you get, like, first-gen guilt? Mm-hmm. Uh, a little... I think it's, like, a driving force, mm. if anything. It's not, I don't think I would consider it guilt. I think it's more... So, I sort of think, like... While I'm here, I need to just do something crazy. Yeah. Like, I can't just do... My sort of thought process is I could go to uni and... Which is probably, like, realistically, if things don't work out, I'm going to go to uni and, like, become a teacher, as I said earlier. But I kind of figured, like, while I have this opportunity to do this thing that is, like, a one in a billion, like, one in a million, I need to go for it. So, it's more like a driving force. Interesting. Sort of thinking, like... That's a nice way to think about it. If I was born there, I would have never had this opportunity. So the fact that I'm here means I do have this opportunity. And so if I can do something with that and make it something greater than whatever, and then I can even go back to the village and help them in some kind of way. Yeah. It's more like a driving force, a motivation instead of like Mm -hmm. a guilt. That's so nice. Mine's more like a guilt. (laughs) And it's like, can't relate. relate. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, yeah, I know you talk about your I think because my experience is that, you know, dad's told me all this stuff about how he struggled so much 
and they've come here. And my more guilt is like sort of like ah oh, like the conventional um, success. You know, how will I provide? How will I like? Um, I don't know. Uh, like, will I be able to take care of my parents mm-hmm. and like let them travel the world because they haven't seen anywhere? Mm-hmm. That's like more of me because I'm like the eldest child and like the first kid. Yeah, so like you know I what I mean? Like I feel like I would have had that thought process, but my yaya is like who's really put that into my head though. Yeah. So like even from a young age, she was like, we didn't go through all the shit we went through and. Or like the because like they had to leave war like they had to escape war yeah. like there's a lot of like so like they were like post World War Two like my dad's grandparents let me say my dad's grandparents my dad's parents for example he didn't actually get to meet his mum and his dad till he was till they actually came to Australia yeah because they were in Germany working in factories mm. so like they like both my grandparents on both sides have always just said to me like hey we didn't and also my parents too have said to me like we didn't leave all that just for you to like. I don't know, get, like, a normal job and a normal career. Like, we want mm. you to do something crazy. Yeah. But That's I can... Nice. Yeah, so I yeah. think because of them kind of, like, drilling it into me, like, you got to do something, blah, blah, blah. That's mm. sort of why, I guess. I, I think if they didn't put that into my head, then definitely I would you sort have, of feel like, yeah. oh, shit, like... What am I doing with my life? Yeah, ah. but because they're like, you have a dream, you need to chase this dream with everything you have. Yeah. That's sort of why I'm a bit more chill mm. about it. I think my parents didn't know how to facilitate that. Mm. Yeah, we've all got different experiences, which is quite interesting. I really like it. The Mm. discourse is thriving. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For me, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I feel like it's on and off. Like sometimes I feel guilty. Mm. I know that for me, the biggest thing is just pressure. Yeah. Like my parents could not stress enough. They were like, you need to go to uni. You need to get a degree. (laughs) Especially because in Ethiopian culture, it's kind of commonly like, I guess it's just, like, expected for you once you grow up and you, like, are making your own money and stuff like that for you to take care of your parents. Yeah. So they also were like, well, we need someone to take care of us when we're old and stuff like Mm. that. But I actually have a little bit less pressure, I would say, because I'm the youngest. Yeah. I think a lot of it is on my sister. Like, my sister's already starting to, like, pay bills and stuff Mm, like that and, like, help them out. Yeah. Yeah. So I think she would have a lot of, like, that pressure Mm. put on her, which is, like, you. My, my, like, pressure is kind of, like, underlying... I think I put it on myself as well because mm-hmm. my dad says, no, don't worry about that stuff. We worry about that. You do whatever you do. Mm. But I'm kind of like, but I feel bad, you know? Yeah. Mm. I think that's like um, elder sibling syndrome. Mm. Um, yeah, it's really interesting how like we all have such similar stories, but then based on our upbringing, there's like so many differences. Yeah, mm. it's so different. Well, it's been really good talking to you. I actually think your life is so interesting. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, I was I don't know. I, I came today, like, without really any expectations. I was like, we'll talk about music and stuff. Mm. But then turns out you fucking could write a biopic about your yeah, life. literally. You maybe. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't go that far. A, cu- a couple of years. <laughs> maybe um, maybe I'd do one for my mum and my dad. Yeah. True. I want my dad to write a book. I was like, Dad, you need to write everything you like that's happened to you. Yeah. Because he's told me stuff about his, like, childhood, childhood that he remembers. And he remembers everything. Hmm. And my mum's kind of like... Yeah, like, I remember some things, but my dad remembers every single detail of his life. Wow. So I'm like, you need to write a book. Yeah, he does. And actually, that reminds me, I want to shout out this book really quick. It's my favourite book, and it's kind of, like, goes on the lines of this topic of what we're talking about. It's called Mouse. It's spelled M-A-U-S by Art Spiegelman. And it's a graphic novel. And I actually had to, we actually had to read it in school. So the fact that I've read it in school and it's my favourite book shows you that it's a really good book. That's a good book, yeah. You were forced to read it (laughs) and you liked it? Wow. That never happened. (laughs) 
But yeah, the author um, wrote it. So he like he wrote about him interviewing his dad who survived the Holocaust about like his um, experiences and everything. And he wrote a lot about the guilt that he felt being like a second generation Holocaust survivor. And yeah, it's just a really, really good book. Everyone should read it. Anyways, okay. back to you, E. <laughs> yeah, um, back to you. Yeah. So yeah, what's next for you? Do what's you next? Like, yeah, like what are you working on currently? Mm. Just your own EP or like other artist stuff? Just shout out everything that you're working okay, on. Okay, so uh, halfway through July to like halfway through August, I made 100 songs in 30 days. And I had a, Jesus Christ. I had a lot of people come through to kind of help me out and do that. So like close to half ended up with vocals on. And it was all just like made in the sessions recorded. And then... um. I've kind of got that list down to like a final batch, mm. and that's so what. Out I'll of the hundred, how many? There's gonna be twelve, and there the tracks go for like two minutes, so there's gonna be twelve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a mission getting I was this say, down. That would be so hard. Oh, it was a mission, and it was like a lot of like it was a lot of like group like discussions on like we got a list to like twenty four, and then from twenty four we got it to like yeah, and then we got there eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's like featuring some really cool people. That's gonna come out at the end of November, and the first two singles come out also like. One November first and one November fifteenth, and then the sweet. actual project sweet. will drop. Yeah, it's so gonna watch be... that space, guys. Yeah. Do you know, Is know what it's be... called? Yeah, I'm gonna call it uh, Radio Town 19 because there's a garage. Oh, there's a garage in my garage. There's a radio. There's a garage. There's a there's a radio tower. Is what I meant to say. That um, is like literally basically right outside my window. So cool. and it's kind of like it's really cool for, for our area, like where we're from. That radio tower is almost like a, like a landmark or like the symbol. So yeah. everyone knows where they are. If you look at the radio tower, you're just like, uh-huh. okay, so... Yeah, I get what you mean. So it's sort of like a really cool landmark. And I think because a lot of the... Basically, all the artists, with the exception of two, are all from like the West or from like my area. Mm. So it's kind of like a fun little like, hey, this is sort of like our project, like our thing. Yeah. That's yeah. so cute. This really has been the most wholesome yeah. podcast ever. <laughs> oh my god. That's so yeah, cute. So I hope people like it. There's so many different artists on it. It's going to be really exciting. And then aside from that, Got two singles coming up. Two singles coming up with Panya. Or maybe one. Well, one that's confirmed. The other one we're still like, working on. Um, Mammoth and I just dropped, dropped an EP. We've got a few singles coming out too. And there's, I don't know, man. There's a lot. We're just making music. It's chill. That was the second episode of The Deep End with E. Um, this is me, Anna, and Yo-Yo. Yo. Leaving the chat. Um, we hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, give us a subscribe if you want to listen to more. Um, follow us on Instagram to get live updates on what we're doing with our lives. Yes. Oh, basically at, this podcast. At the deep end underscore. Yeah, on Instagram. And please, please leave a review. It would yeah. really help us. You know, if it's shit, like tell us so we can like improve. You know, don't be like that. Anyways, see you later.